Hi guys. <laughs> Welcome back to RT Share Tea, where respiratory therapists live out loud. With me, your host, Linda Front, the asthma lady. Yes. Welcome everybody. Welcome to anyone new. Very excited because I have a new guest co-host and he is amazing. I've been following him for quite some time. COPD guy. Very excited to have him, Mike Hess. So before I let him do his thing, I'm going to do the appropriate thing, read his bio. Hopefully I don't jack it up. All right. So Mike Hess is the Senior Director of Public Outreach and Education for the COPD Foundation. He is also the current chair-elect of the AARC Ambulatory and Post-Acute post Care Section. In 2019, he was named Specialty Practitioner of the Year for that section and served as the president of the Michigan Society for Respiratory Care. Yes, Mike is very busy and we appreciate having you here today. Yes, Mike. How are you? How's everything going? Uh, I'm doing well. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Uh, love what you're doing with this uh, and really uh, love to have an any opportunity I, I can have to talk about COPD and talk about uh, uh, new practice settings and all that kind of fun stuff. So I'm really excited for this. Yes. Thank you for being here. I, I have... Oh no, my sound effects is not playing. I had some clapping sound effects, but it's not playing. Oh, all right. Well, do we hear anything? No. Well, we can give ourselves some sound effects. It's all good. <laughs> Yay! I think I hear something. I, I was clapping. I was saying we can give ourselves some sound effects. So. <laughs> I have some sound effects. I'm still trying to figure that out. But anyway. Uh, so yes, Mike, thank you so much for being here with us. So excited to have you. So I always, you know how it is with respiratory therapists. Uh, you know, everyone has their story of what got them into the field. So let's, let's hear your story. What got you into the field of respiratory care? Well, I would love to say it was some kind of, you know, inspirational moment where the clouds parted and the sunshine came down and all that sort of thing. But the the, the honest truth of the matter is the uh, waiting list for nursing school was too long at the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was a, a bit of a late bloomer, was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. We had uh, two kids uh, at home and, you know, just trying to get my life together. And uh, my wife was a nurse. Uh, and, um, thought what she did was pretty cool. Uh, loved watching the, you know, the, the ER and, uh, medical shows and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, uh, yeah, you know, I, I think I could probably do that. And then, uh, it was going to be about a two year wait to get into that. And, uh, right down the hallway was the respiratory therapy department. And, uh, um, my wife said, Hey, you know, I, I think you might be pretty good at that. And, um, I actually had had some experience with that. Um, because our oldest uh, was a preemie. She was born about uh, 36 weeks premature, uh, oh. spent about a week in the NICU, chest tube, surfactant, vent, all that kind of stuff. Okay. Uh, and I was fascinated that there were people there that could figure out what all the little squiggles meant and you know the whole rows of numbers and all that. Um, so I thought that was interesting. I just didn't really know what it was. So I uh, ended up uh, stumbling into that and uh, it's, I've never really looked back. This is it. it the, the the universe or whatever power you want to believe in led me right to where I'm supposed to be. So right, 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 right. It's and it's a good place to be. I like meeting people who are just like you know just happy to do what they're doing and finding their way in the career. You know. So and with and with that being said, um, so 
to, to follow up with that on that, what led you to go into that, that direction of working with specifically with patients with COPD and being an advocate and for those on oxygen and all that stuff? Yeah. So, um, you know, honestly, it's almost a similar story. It's not something I originally really set out to do. You know, I thought like, uh, I think many of us, I thought I was going to be the vent guy, you know, that's where um, that was going to be my mark, you know, an ICU and all that sort of thing. Um, But I had an opportunity to do some uh, um, continuing education videos. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I don't even know whatever happened to him. But the guy said, uh, uh, well, if you if you agree to do four, we're going to fly you out to our little studio in, in uh, Monterey, California. And if you do eight, you can bring a guest. So I thought, well, that, that's great. Uh, I'll do I'll do eight. <laughs> I'll bring my wife. It's going to be February. It's going to be a little Valentine's Day thing in Monterey. And everybody, I hadn't been to California before. So let's like, let's do that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I started off with all the usual topics, the uh, ABGs and ventilator uh, waveforms and all that sort of thing. Um, and then, you know, you kind of get down toward the end and it's like, well, now what am I going to talk about? And uh, this went into COPD and really learned that we were doing a terrible job at, at the time of actually helping people manage this condition. You know, we, right. we see people mm-hmm. all the time. They're the frequent flyers. You know, why aren't they just taking their inhalers? Why don't they just quit smoking? You know, that, that's kind of the stereotype. And uh, this was also right about the time that the uh, readmission reduction program was about to add COPD uh, to its list. And so there was going to start really being money on the table. Um, And again, I was talking with my wife and, uh, you know, we're saying that, you know, this could be an opportunity. If I can really get ahead of some of these things, I can make a mark in this, this whole COPD world. And that is, you know, that's an avenue. I don't necessarily have to do what everybody else is doing. Um, and kind of, kind of went from there. Um, the community has been great for me. I, you know, it uh, started with a Facebook group, um, uh, because I, my dad was a teacher. I was really interested in learning styles. And I saw at the time, you know, I know we can say what we want about, uh, uh, Facebook and social media these days, but at the time it was a great tool to use a lot of different, um, media in, right. you know, we could use text we could use graphics you know eventually we did uh, facebook lives and you know video discussions and things like that and it really gave people access to somebody who could give them some objective information um, and help them manage their condition a little bit more and then it's just kind of grown from there i love that i i love the fact that you found kind of like a gap a need and you was able to identify like, okay, this might be an opportunity where you can provide an additional service as a respiratory therapist. And I think that's what um, just shifting when people feel like we're just obligated to be in acute care settings and that's it. And when it's time to transition away from that, oftentimes I start to see therapists, they get a little lost or they just feel like they have to leave the profession. And it's like, it's, it's, that's not necessarily true. There are other opportunities out there for um, different personalities and where you can shine, you know, and I love hearing your story. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, it, that that's, that's another thing I'm very passionate about. You know, obviously I'm a huge patient advocate, but I, I like to think of myself as a professional advocate too, because I really do believe in, in what we do as respiratory therapists we have a very particular skill set. We have a very particular set of knowledge. Yes. Um, and I think we can provide a lot of value 
outside of our traditional boxes, whether it's acute care or, you know, PFT diagnostics, you know, we've, we've kind of had, we've put, put ourselves into some of these boxes. And I, I think there's a lot of things that we can do outside of that. Um, we just have to keep kind of chipping away at the, at the boundaries. Right. Right. And, and I, I forget where I hear it from, where I heard this from, but it's, it's always, you always hear from somewhere. It's like, Oh, we, we, we've never done that. Or, um, we don't do that until somebody does it. And then it's like, Oh, okay. <laughs> so I guess we do do that. <laughs> it's like, or we can do that. So you, you just never know what, you know, um, what, what going sometime against the flow of things, what it could bring, you know, the opportunities and whatnot. So I feel like, uh, that's what kind of what happened to me too. I just fell in this unicorn space and that's what everyone is seeing um, as me, as the asthma lady uh, doing this thing. I just kind of fell into this space and just ran with it, you know? For yeah. sure. You, you know, on the on the video, if, if you're watching this on the video, you can see behind me, I've got a lot of Star Trek and sci-fi paraphernalia. Okay. Oh. One, one of the one of the biggest quotes that I've tried to live by is uh, Captain Picard from The Next Generation. He's got a line where the, he says, uh, things are only impossible until they are not. Uh, because, you know, it's one of those things we never thought, you know, people, you couldn't go 10 miles an hour until they invented the car. And, you know, you right. can't, you know, people just can't do a thing until, like you said, somebody actually does it. And then um, then we can kind of, you, it just takes that one, that one hit sometimes. And then the, the you know, everything kind of bursts through. And I... I totally should hook you up with my husband because he's very into the that stuff, and um, I I don't want to embarrass myself and and tell you what I know, <laughs> the little that I know about Star Trek. So, but I love the um the memorabilia in your background. He has similar things. So what I was gonna say. So yeah. So what? Okay. So once you went in this direction in your career, what barriers, if if any? Uh, the, that you had at that time in the beginning of your journey? Oh, I, you know, they're looking back, there were a lot of barriers. And it's one of those things where it's almost kind of better that I didn't know at the time, because, it, you know, if you don't know what you don't know, then you don't know what you can't do, or mm -hmm. you, what you quote, unquote, can't do. Um, you know, there, there really wasn't a model for a lot of these things. So first off, I knew I had to go back to school. I had an associate's degree at the time. And I knew that if I wanted to be taken seriously at all in the policy discussions, um, I needed to have at least a bachelor's degree. And we can have endless conversations about whether that's fair or right or whatever, but it's just, it's kind of the way it is. So yeah, went back to school and then uh, got a bachelor's in interdisciplinary health services because we didn't have any BSRT programs in my area at the time or anything like that, okay. um, it, which was helpful also because it helped me kind of learn how the system works. You know, it's some of those right. things we don't necessarily get mm -hmm. in, in our in our base education. Um, and then I really wanted to go beyond you know, the Facebook and things like that at the time, this was you know, an era before we had a lot of telehealth or anything like that it wasn't really kind of a, a concept. And so I thought, well, what if I could bring this kind of education um, to real, you know, in real life, you know, where do I go for a clinic or something like that? And as it happens, we had a fairly new medical school here where I live in Southwest Michigan and uh, ended up um, finding the dean's email address somewhere and basically cold emailing him and saying, you know, this is this is who I am. I'm a respiratory therapist. This is what I see, you know, chronic conditions. Primary care is a great place to 
to handle a lot of these things um, because a lot of people don't have access to pulmonologists or, you know, they don't have that ongoing relationship. Um, uh, maybe we can start a program. And, you know, again, this is the dean of a medical school. It was only a couple of years in. They're doing all their things. He's busy, I'm sure. And I thought, uh, you yeah, know, it's worth a shot. Um, right. I'm never going to hear from the guy again, I'm sure. You know, at best, I might get a thing that says, oh, always nice to hear from the community, blah, blah, blah. And then never hear from him again. Uh, but fortunately, I did. In, in about uh, three hours, he sent me an email back and said, yeah, I'm, I'm, this is interesting. I'm going to set you up with our uh, um, one of our associate deans and our chair of medicine. And um, let's see what we can do. And um, fortunately, I had a couple of champions there, and we were able to uh, to put together a clinic here at our medical school in the primary care office. And I became uh, one of those uh, um, few RTs, especially at the time, that was doing uh, primary care. So I overcame that educational hurdle, and then I ran into the fact that um, okay, so so now I'm the dog that caught the car. You know, I've got this clinic, oh. I've talked the big game, uh -huh. all that stuff. Now what? Yeah. You know, because there's no blueprint for this. There's no template. Uh -huh. Um, and so I just, you know, uh, uh, leaned on uh, a lot of other people who were out there. Um, Bill Pruitt down at uh, university or uh, somewhere in Alabama, I think it, he, he's down there. Uh, uh -huh. Crystal Craddock out at UC Davis and, and her road team out there. Nice. Um, kind of saw what they were doing, tried to adapt it to slightly different settings. A lot of stuff from the COPD Foundation, a lot of stuff from asthma allergy. You know, just trying to find whatever resources, whatever role models, whatever I could to uh, to start drawing that roadmap. And um, um, there were and then more more stuff on top of that. Nobody knew what to do with me because, you know, how do you bill for an RT? You know, there's a, a lot right. of that stuff is 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 tricky sometimes. Um, but we made it work, and uh, it's uh, um, it was a really great experience. Mm -hmm. You pushed through, and it, so basically you created your own position. Like you, you, you created the job for yourself. You gave the Dean an idea. You wasn't afraid to ask. And then you followed through. Like, so I, what it is, is that you're, you talk the talk and you walk the walk. You see what I'm saying? So you're, because you're following through with the ideas. And like you said, um, once they said yes, now it's time to perform. It's time to execute. And you got to figure it out. So, right? I, I mean, yeah, it, yeah. It, there's, a way, there's a way to do this sometimes uh, because the, the, the temperature that I see sometimes from people is once again, they'll tell me these jobs don't exist. They're, they're like, no, they, Linda, these jobs don't exist. And I'm like, I, yes, they do. They do exist. They're not going to land in your lap. That's what it's not going to happen. So you have to prepare for the opportunity in advance. So, yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's really the key. You know, another one of my mentors, um, Gary Kaufman, always used to, and I'm sure he still does. He says, if you really want to have an impact, you've got to learn what's keeping the C-suite up at night. You know, the CEOs, the CFOs, mm -hmm. you know, the big wigs. And so you, you make your case, you have your evidence, you, you uh, try to find, you know, try to be, put yourself in a good position so that when those opportunities either materialize or you're able to uh, create them, or you're able to, as you've done, you know, knock down barriers and uh, 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 preconceptions about, mm -hmm. well, this is a nursing job. And, you know, you've, you, you know, in your story, you've said, well, no, it's not. And, um, but you're right that the preparation work into that and having the case and being able to make the case, you know, that's all really essential. Um, and 
I can kind of see both sides because a lot of times these jobs don't exist, but that doesn't mean that they can't exist exactly. or that we can't access them. And that's really where the, the effort comes in and we've really got to go track it down. You have to go for what you want. You can't be, yes. you have to, you can't be scared. You have to be bold. And like you said, um, um, you have to have your, your, your supporters, you know, you have to get that mentor, so we're speaking the same language. You need your mentors, your supporters, those cheerleaders. Uh, you need your data, something. You have to prove. It can't be a feeling. <laughs> it has to be hard evidence. We need this. And then execute, push through, follow through. Love it, love it, love it, love it. And, and uh-huh, go ahead. I, I just say, I, I think another key point to it is especially at this stage of the game, you can't be proprietary about it. You know, I've had great mentors. I like to try to be whatever mentor I can be to other people. You know, I, people ask me, well, you know, can you send me this, right? You know, how did you do that? I, I've gone around and I've gave, I've given presentations about how, you know, how we pitch the clinic and things like that. Exactly. You've got to pay it forward because we've, that's yes. the only way we're going to build these jobs is to, is to, you know, get people literally on the same team and all pushing in the same direction. Correct. I, I, I always said it because I don't feel like the door was necessarily open for me, but um, I found that crack in the window and <laughs> I, I got in and um, I do uh, try to open the door for other people. I don't, I don't make it a thing where it's just me. So if I can also assist another institution or somebody or whatever, figure it out. It's like, yeah, sure. Because I want the door. It shouldn't be a, a one and done. I want the door open so other people can discover um, career paths like this and jobs like this where you can flourish and just be, you know, just doing your own thing, but still able to feed your family and, and help people at the same time. Absolutely. Yeah. And you never really know when some of those connections are going to come back to help you, you know, come again, kind of full circle. Um, yes. That's how I ended up at the foundation. I, I took a call with when I was at, uh, you know, in, at the medical school, somebody had some kind of technology thing and, you know, their, their initiative didn't end up panning out. But then about two, three years later, um, in the midst of the pandemic, when they really didn't know what to do with me because I couldn't see anybody and I couldn't do the community things, you know, all the the things that were wrapped up in my job. Uh, and I was, uh, I was one of those door greeters with the forehead scanner taking temperatures and they're like, <laughs> I don't think this is going to work out. And so I was looking for a new gig and that person actually came back and said, Hey, have you seen that they're, they posted a job at the foundation? And I said, no, I didn't. But, um, yeah. and she's also was really good friends with our CEO at the time. So it, it really, um, you know, kind of eased some of that stuff and, and got me to where I am today. So never be afraid to take a call and never be afraid to, uh, yeah. Um, you know, look for it to to come back around for you. My mentor, my mentor, that's what she told me too. She was like, Linda, say yes. And if anything happens at the end of the day, you are a respiratory therapist. The jobs are always there. It's like, it's, it's a, it's a fact we are in demand. So it's just like, it, it yeah, if it doesn't work, if you say yes to something, you can at least see if you like it or not. And then go from there. Like you're, you'll be fine. You know. Yeah, I'm, I mean, a lot of times, the worst case, you know, the, the flip side to a call like uh, the one I just described is another call I took one time with uh, you know this where I was actually at the foundation already, and this person was said, "Well, I've got this great innovation. I want you know, want to talk to you about it." And it's like, okay, cool. So I spent a half hour listening to this gentleman tell me about how he had hyperoxygenated water 
um, that you could use to oxygenate people, except it didn't go into, shall we say, the oral route. It went to the other side of the, the GI tract, trying to be a little delicate. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> and I said, so wait a minute. <laughs> okay. You okay. literally want to blow oxygen up somebody's, uh, uh, okay. yeah. And I was like, okay. That's so that was a, that's a half hour I'm never getting back, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would love to explain that to people in my family. <laughs> yeah, that's my new job. So, yeah, but, but usually, you know, again, that, you know, that's, that's the big risk is you, you, you waste a half hour and then the, the, but the, the up, the potential upshot is so much higher than that. So. Love it. Um, I love this. We need to have another episode. Um, <laughs> hold on, I'm about to call. And we're both in the public health space too. I love that. So we need to have another that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> but Mike, Yes, indeed. Okay, so do you have any, I, th I mean, I want to say we spoke about it already. Do you have any other advice for anybody that wants to take control of their career? On top of the things we've already mentioned, you know, again, you look for the opportunities, you find something that you... Um, you can become passionate about if you're not, you know, because again, I, I was not necessarily the most passionate guy about COPD when I started, but right. I've, I've gotten there. I, you know, I, I've discovered that, you know, how, how powerful the, these kinds of roles can be. Um, so find something that you can make an impact with that you're comfortable at least doing until you become passionate about it. Um, find those pain points that, you know, whether it's, a, you know, again, a, a corporate office or you know, your department or whatever it is, find those pain points. And then also never be afraid to network in a positive way, you know, it, whether it's social media, whether it's, um, uh, you know, going to a conference, you, I know, you know, especially people early in their career may not, uh, you know, have a lot of opportunity to go to a thing like AARC Congress, go to your state events, go to regional events, um, go to health fairs, do all those sorts of things. Because again, you never, never really know when some of those networks and those connections are going to pay off. Um, and it, it's always good to have friends. So uh, network, find the pain points, uh, prepare yourself. Um, I think those are really kind of the, the keys to it out there. I know. And, it, and look, look at us, look how we met oh, through social media. Yeah. I feel like I've said, I feel like I've known you for years. <laughs> it's like, and we literally, you know what we've seen each other at um, AARC Congress not too long ago. And it's like, I love meeting people that I meet in virtual space in like in real time. So it's like, oh, we're, you're real. And and especially when <laughs> the vibe is there and you, and they're just like, they have great energy. And Mike, you have great energy. You're a, a lot of fun. You and your peoples are uh, uh, a lot of fun. I won't, I won't, um, I don't want to spoil people's surprise when they meet you and you're in your Hawaiian shirt and you just chilling. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's, that's COPD guy. The, the first time I saw you, that's, I was like, I know him <laughs> in the Hawaiian shirt. I was like, I know him. <laughs> yeah. I just, you know, I like to, to keep it casual. If people, if people, there's so much stress and formality in the world, oh the, you know, gosh. all the time there, everybody's just kind of, you know, well, you know, in, in, in this case, we're, you know, literally in a box right now on the screen, but um, you know, it's nice to just be able to go out and, and be authentic and be, be comfortable yourself. with people. And... 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. Exactly. Right, we're the same person. <laughs> I think we're the same person. Just 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 out here doing doing what we do. But um yes, Mike. Okay. Mike, I always give folks an opportunity to plug away. So plug, plug, plug. What do you have going on? Where can we find you? What's new? What's going on? Uh well, I got two uh, two main things I would probably like to push out there. First of all, um, at the foundation, um, you know, I've got that big fancy title, whatever it is. Um, but uh, I lead a lot of our oxygen innovation programs. You know, we're really trying to, you know, just like we looked way back in the day, how can we teach stuff about COPD better? Mm -hmm. um, we want to do oxygen therapy better, honestly, because we have, it, it's just not at all a good situation right now. You know, reimbursement cuts have really decimated a lot of the, uh -huh. the durable medical equipment market. Mm -hmm. um, we don't have a lot of RTs in those roles anymore in those spaces. We're not doing education there. The mm -hmm. technology is lagging behind. You know, we've got people okay. dragging these big tanks around or they've got portable concentrators that aren't keeping up with their oxygen needs. Wow. And then around the world, um, we've seen oxygen shortages, you know, during the pandemic, people were literally dying because their hospital ran out of oxygen. And that's just, that's it's a crazy sad. thought. Yeah. Um, so we've started this program called Oxygen 360, where we're really trying to look at the entire oxygen framework, you know, whether it's domestically, how we pay for it, how we provide it, you know, all those sorts of things, whether it's internationally, you know, how do we develop that infrastructure uh, in places that haven't had it before? Um, how do we get pulse oximeters to people, all that sort of thing. Um, and we've really started looking at uh, uh, how we can do better. Um, we've started to make some inroads in that. We published a paper last year with uh, Dr. Richard Casaburi, where we took uh, uh, portable devices that you could buy on eBay that were advertised as oxygen concentrators, um, put them on a metabolic simulator and found out that they weren't really. They were just wow. putting out uh, uh, maybe a smidge above room air. Oh, um, yeah. And so... Wow, and so we we call them non-centrators because they're not concentrators. <laughs> so. um, and so we're trying to you know get more uh, information out there about that. We're supporting initiatives like the four pillars of oxygen reform that AERC and about two dozen other groups are pushing right now. Okay. Um, and then again, okay. we're we're building um, an international profile as well. We've got some great international partners that are are trying to help us learn a little bit more about how we can impact things around the globe. Um, we celebrated World Oxygen Day for the first time on October 2nd, O2. Nice. Uh, and we're looking to what we can do next year. So um, those are key parts of, of uh, what's going on uh, um, uh, on the job side of things. Uh, but then, as you mentioned at the beginning, um, I was recently uh, uh, elected chair-elect of the Ambulatory and Post-Acute Care um, yes. uh, membership I, session. I, I need to get my life together and officially <laughs> make that official because I belong <laughs> to you guys. So, yeah. And honestly, that's that's one of the biggest things we need is people like you to, to join us because we're a small section. Um, we don't yet have a vote on the board. We need to about double our size. And okay. so we need to bring in people. Um, yeah, to one. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And we we want all the unicorns. You know, I look at it as you know whether it's the Island of Misfit Toys or a pirate ship or whatever. We want we want everybody. We want asthma educators. We want COPD navigators, mm -hmm. you know, pulmonary navigators. We want entrepreneurs. We want everybody who isn't hasn't necessarily been sure where they fit or anything like that. We want to be all your right. voice. Um, and so that's kind of my. And then also to use that platform, especially once we get big enough to start pushing for more and more of these roles so that people okay. don't have to 
go to the hiring officer and say, why are you only hiring nurses for this? Or um, why aren't you doing X, Y, Z? You know, when best practice is this. Um, so that that's really, those are the, the two biggest things is, you know, um, uh, okay. better advocacy for oxygen and better uh, advocacy for RTs because we can make a tremendous difference and, and we we're needed. Um, you know, again, my yes. bias is a little bit in primary care, but um, primary care is struggling right now. You know, they're having it is, it, it is a struggle. It is a hot. struggle. You you have even during well visits um, for asthma, you, you have providers that don't know the basics of asthma management, and it's it's scary. It's real. It's real scary. And um, well, that's and so what should be done. Yeah. You talk about data, you know, that was part of how I pitched my job was there was a study and it's probably about 10 years old now, but it, it sure, certainly hasn't gotten any better where they found that uh, um, the median primary care visit was, I think it was 15.8 minutes long and covered six topics. Yes. So here you are as your primary, you know, a primary care provider trying to cover everything you possibly can in yes. three minutes or less yes. while you're clicking all the buttons yes. and, you know, hitting all the metrics and all that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, you just yeah. can't. You, you know, can, even if you, you're the best clinician in the world, yeah, you can but fight what, for those positions. Yes, what you can do is, if you're if you're in a PCP, you can say, "Well, I want you to go talk to our respiratory therapist." Yeah, you can take your thirty seconds and go do that, and then hand off the tobacco treatment and mm -hmm. the inhaler technique and all that sort of stuff. Um, and that's where we can really, really provide a lot of value. Yes. Oh my gosh. So I, I'm very excited for what's to come for the RT profession. Um, I, especially in telehealth and any, anything around, um, you know, chronic disease management. I mean, it's so much we could do there because people are living longer, but they are sicker, especially in the lung disease world. It's, it's crazy what's happening here. It's not enough of us. Uh, Mike, I wish I had more time, but there is so much more for us to talk about. So I'm I I'm gonna make more time for you. I'm gonna I'm going to schedule you for another episode. So we'll we'll keep that. 2024 is a is going to be a productive year. So I'll have you back on. I'm so appreciative to have you on today and you just um sharing the gems on how to take control of your career. Love it. Yes, thank you so much, Mike, for being here with us. Uh, guys, thank you again for being here with us. As always, we are on most Google, most podcast platforms on Wednesdays, and we are on YouTube on Thursdays, guys. So there's so much more to come as the year is ending and a lot going on for 2024. So remember, we are growing together. All right, guys. So remember to invest in yourself and to only compete with yesterday's version of you. See you next time.